0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Welcome to CNN Tonight. I'm Jake Tapper in Washington. Tonight, outrage, horror and a scramble for answers after an intruder broke into the home of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and violently attacked her husband with a hammer. Sources say 82-year-old Paul Pelosi was taken into surgery for a skull fracture. He is expected to make a full recovery. This all started just before 2.30 a.m. Pacific time at the Pelosi home in San Francisco, where sources say the male suspect confronted Paul Pelosi, screaming, where is Nancy, and then tried to tie him up, quote, until Nancy got home. Shortly thereafter, police arrived on the scene. The suspect pulled the
2: hammer away from Ms. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with it. Our officers immediately tackled the suspect, disarmed him, took him into custody, requested emergency backup, and rendered medical aid.
1: San Francisco police have identified the suspect as 42-year-old David DePapp. He's a man with a history of spreading far-right conspiracy theories on Facebook and elsewhere on the internet. About COVID vaccines, the 2020 election, and the January 6th insurrection, sources say he was not known to Capitol police or in any federal threat database. It is hard to ignore how much of the suspect's rhetoric today echoes what we heard from rioters who stormed the Capitol.
3: Hey,
0: Nancy Pelosi. The is Nancy? Can I speak to Pelosi?
1: Congressman Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, one of the two Republicans on the January 6th House Committee, tweeted today, quote, I want to be clear, when you convince people that politicians are rigging elections, drink babies' blood, etc., you will get violence. This must be rejected. This is why the January 6th Committee is so important, unquote. And Democratic Congresswoman Karen Bass of California went even further.
3: It just shows us the danger that our democracy is in. And it also just makes me angry thinking of my Republican colleagues who attempt to minimize what happened January 6th and who ignore the hate speech, the violent speech that is going on right
1: now. Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell today strongly condemned the assault on Twitter. House Republican Leader Kevin McCarthy's office says he reached out to the Speaker's office to check on Paul Pelosi. This horrifying act of violence today... I wish I could tell you it was an outlier. It's not. It is the inevitable product of a poisonous political climate where unchecked lies and hate-filled dehumanizing rhetoric combine to create a perfect storm of political violence. Last year, an astounding 34% of American adults said it's justifiable for citizens to take violent action against the government, according to a Washington Post-University of Maryland poll. No public figure seems safe. Capitol Police have tracked more than 9,000 threats in 2021 against the people and places that department is charged with protecting. Just today, a Pennsylvania man pleaded guilty to making threats to kill Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell and his staff. Earlier this month, Republican Senator Susan Collins warned, quote, I wouldn't be surprised if a senator or House member were killed. What started with abusive phone calls is now translating into active threats of violence and real violence. Those abusive phone calls are now a regular part of life for Congressman Kinzinger and others.
4: gonna get your wife, we're gonna get your kids. We're gonna get you when they where you live. We're coming to your house, gonna get you, Mike.
5: You're gonna swing for f-ing treason, you communist f-ing.
1: Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell of Michigan has also received voicemails that would make your stomach churn. She shared this one with CNN last year after former President Trump singled her out. I hope your family dies in front of you.
4: I pray to God if you've got any children, they die in your face.
1: As much as Donald Trump is part of the problem here, you need to know these threats and horrific acts are not only from the right. Back in 2017, Republican Congressman Steve Scalise was nearly killed after being shot during an attack on a congressional baseball game. Supreme Court justices are also under threat. This summer, a man traveled to D.C. from California armed to the teeth with the stated intention of killing Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Also not safe, governors, candidates for governor. This week, three men were convicted of all charges after supporting a plot to kidnap Michigan's Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer. In July, a man jumped on stage to try to stab with a sharp object, Congressman Lee Zeldin, a Republican candidate for New York governor. To get some perspective of how bad it can get, let's turn back to one of the most tumultuous and perhaps darkest chapters in American political history. On November 22nd, 1963, Viewers who turned into CBS were met by this chilling report. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official,
2: President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time.
1: Only five years later, April 1968, Walter Cronkite again.
2: Good evening, Dr. Martin Luther King, the
1: apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. Think about that, the leader of the civil rights movement preaching the importance of nonviolence, murdered in cold blood. Only two months later,
2: June, 1968. We've heard an alarming report that Robert Kennedy was shot in that ballroom at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. These are the extremes, political violence taking
1: the lives of the nation's leaders we reference them as a point of caution. We're at a moment right now of extreme polarization where calls for violence are leading to actual violence. We cannot pretend that these are all isolated fringe events. There are people in mainstream accepted society, elected officials, TV anchors, others, who have been creating a permission structure that is helping to open the door to this violence. A permission structure created when they dehumanize opponents or smear them or belittle or make light of acts or threats of violence against their perceived foes or spread conspiracy theories. And while it might feel as though the political divides of the present are too vast to bridge, now is the moment that we all need to stop and think about our common humanity or, at the very least, the basic golden rule and how you want to be treated. Political violence in America is no longer a threat, it's a reality. Two years ago, a lawyer dressed up like a FedEx delivery man and showed up at the New Jersey home of U.S. District Judge Esther Salas. Her son Daniel, celebrating his birthday that day, ran to open the door. That lawyer opened fire. Daniel was killed. His father was shot three times, but survived. Judge Salas is with us tonight. Judge Salas, thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm sorry it's under these... Conditions and what a horrible, what a horrible task, uh, a calling you have. Um, what was the first thing that went through your mind today when you heard about Paul Pelosi? Uh,
3: good evening, Mr. Tapper. Thank you for having me on. The first thing that came to my mind was just sadness. Where we have come to in this country, words matter. The way we treat each other, it matters and we see what words can do, and we see what happened in my case. This gentleman came to my house, as you said, and took our only child, uh, as we say, our blessing from God and uh, changed our lives forever. Words matter, Mr. Tapper, and, and judicial security now matters more than ever. Judicial security, sir, is a matter of national security. And we need to pass this bipartisan law to protect judges, to protect democracy. And I'm going to say to protect really humanity. We need to start working together and change the course and the direction, the dangerous direction that we are headed in this country.
1: I wanna ask you about that legislation in a second, but first the U.S. Marshal's office reports an explosion of threats against judges in recent years. Part of the job you do has always been about making 50% of the people who come in front of your bench unhappy. Why do you think there has been such a drastic increase in threats against judges recently? You know, I I,
3: I don't know. I think there's probably a myriad of reasons we can point to, uh, but I, I, I would say that we have lost the ability to talk to one another. We have lost the ability to hear each other. To really see each other when we're talking to one another. And, and I think that we have really lost the ability to communicate civilly to one another. And, and that, you know, when you lose that ability to really connect and to be open to other people's opinions. And to agree to disagree sometimes. When we become so stuck that our way is the only way. And that our way is the only way it must be. We lose the ability to govern. We lose the ability to respect each other. We lose what really makes us all important, everything important that we do. Mm. And that is the ability to connect to one another on a real basis, on a human basis.
1: Let's talk about that legislation named after your son, one senator from Kentucky, Republican Rand Paul, who also suffered a a violent attack from his neighbor. Um, He uh, blocked the bill. Uh, named after your son several times. The bill would keep judges' personal information from showing up online. Senator Paul uh, apparently refused to meet with you over the summer, but he says he wants the same protection for lawmakers. Um, Given this attack at Speaker Pelosi's house, would you object to amending the bill to include lawmakers?
3: You know, I I think that um, Congress needs to do what Congress needs to do to protect themselves, Mr. Tapper, but our bill, the, the the Daniel Andrew Judicial Security and Privacy Act, this bill has been ready for over two years. You know, and and many people. I just want to re- say three numbers: two, three, nine. It's been two years, three months, and nine days since my only child was viciously gunned down. Judges every day are facing repeated attacks verbal attempts, the numbers are over 4,000 at this, you know, from last year. We need to act now and we need to do it now. And this is an urgent matter. And these attacks like the one on Mr. Pelosi are just showing where we are. We're living in a rising tide of tremendous violence. A real clear and present danger exists and it exists right now for the judiciary. And we have the ability to pass this, this bill. And I would say that this is a bill that is a bipartisan, bicameral. We actually have, I last counted, we have 121 representatives, Congressmen and women, Congressmen and, and Congresswomen that have signed on from both the Republican side and the Democratic, Democrat side. And we are ready to pass this bill. I would also now note that the Senate has been working in a bipartisan way, and we have people like Senator Graham co-sponsoring this bill, Senator Cotton, who supports this bill, Senator Cruz signed on as a Mm co-sponsor. This bill is bipartisan, and how wonderful would it be to send a message to the American public that... We are working together to ensure that judges are, judges are safe, that our democracy is sound, mm-hmm. and that we respect the rule of law in the United States of America.
1: Judge Salas, thank you so much for being How with wonderful. us tonight. And, and thank you so much. And may your son's memory, may, may it be a blessing. Thank you so much for being with us.
3: Thank you so much for having me on, sir.
1: Dr. Anthony Fauci sadly knows what it's like to be a target in this dangerous political climate. President Biden's chief medical advisor is here. We're also going to talk to him about the pandemic's long-term impact on America's children with the nation's report card now out. It's not good. Does Fauci regret not pushing others in the administration, both Trump and Biden, harder for schools to stay open? That's next. Tonight, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has returned to San Francisco to be with her husband, the attack on her husband, highlighting the dangerous political climate that we're in. One person who's all too familiar with these types of threats, Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's been the target of vitriol and threats over the government's handling of the coronavirus pandemic, as well as being the focus of a number of deranged conspiracy theories. As a result, Dr. Fauci and his family have received multiple death threats. In August, a 56-year-old man was sentenced to more than three years in prison for sending a series of emails threatening to kill Dr. Fauci and his family. And Dr. Fauci joins us now. He's the longtime director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and is the chief medical advisor to President Biden. Dr. Fauci, good to see you. You've been a medical advisor to seven different presidential administrations. Uh, You also uh, were part of a very... um, difficult, uh, many difficult uh, epidemics and and crises, but especially I'm I'm thinking of the AIDS crisis, uh, which obviously brought forward a lot of emotions. Have you ever, ever seen the type of heightened rhetoric and violent attacks that we're seeing today on public officials and public figures? What kind of impact does this have on people who want to get into public service?
5: Well, Jake, I've never seen anything even close to what we're experiencing now and what has been manifested by what you just recently reported uh, about Paul Pelosi as an example of the kind of rhetoric that turns into violence. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I've seen disagreements, uh, political uh, disagreements, ideological differences, but never the degree of rhetoric turned into action and violence and threats of violence. I think it's going to have a very negative effect on young people who are deciding whether or not they want to go into a number of professions, including public health. And certainly when you talk about people who want to go into public service where they are going to be scrutinized by people who would disagree with them. But then when they disagree with them, they turn to rhetoric that's violent and actual violent actions. No, I've never seen anything that even approximates this degree in any of my experience over now, well over 50 years.
1: The man who allegedly attacked Speaker Pelosi's husband posted memes and conspiracy theories on the internet about COVID vaccines, among other conspiracy theories. An acquaintance told CNN that he seems out of touch with reality. Um, How damaging do you think the ongoing conspiracy theories about the pandemic have been?
5: Well, I mean, the, the, the conspiracy theories are, are just wild out there. I mean, for, they, they go from things, you know, almost as ludicrous as saying that Bill Gates and I put chips into vaccines in order to monitor what people do, which dis uh, you know it, it disincentivize people to to get into getting vaccinated when vaccinations are life saving. So. I mean, there are different ways of harming the public, Jake. You can directly do it with the violence that you just mentioned. But then when you get a conspiracy theory that dissuades someone from getting a life-saving intervention, in many respects, that's also killing people. So there are so many negative aspects of what's going on with this untruths that is prevalent now. We're living in an era where lies and conspiracy theories are normalized, which is so unfortunate.
1: I know there are still lots of questions about the origin of COVID. uh, And uh, obviously, the Chinese government has not exactly been transparent. So it's difficult to assess what what happened. Uh, There is a new interim report out from the top Republican on the Senate Health Committee. Uh, It's an interim report. And and it's not uh, from the Intelligence Committee and it's just from one party, not unanimous, uh, not not the bipartisan. But this report does say that the covid-19 pandemic was, quote, more likely than not the result of a research related incident, unquote. Have you seen the report? Um, What is your reaction?
5: Well, I haven't read it carefully. I've skimmed through it, but I can tell you, Jake, that it's really unfortunate because. There are at least two very important peer-reviewed scientific publications most recently that completely diverge from the conclusions that came out in the report to which you're referring. And these are studies that were done, published in high-ranked journals, Science Journal, the Medical Journal, by a group of evolutionary virologists who just completely disagree with the conclusions that came out of the report that you just mentioned. We're seeing the
1: spread of, of anti-science rhetoric on the, on the midterm campaign trail, uh, especially among conservative candidates. Uh, take a listen to Carrie Lake, the Arizona Republican candidate for governor, talking about ivermectin.
3: We shouldn't have to feel like drug addicts trying to go out there to buy ivermectin and find somebody who can prescribe it to us and then beg a pharmacist to give it to us it works like matt i've taken it it's a wonder drug
1: now the fda has repeatedly said that people should not take ivermectin to treat covid in a washington state congressional race uh, republican candidate joe kent called covid a quote scam he called vaccines quote experimental gene therapies both of these candidates won their primaries and could very well uh win on election day are you concerned by this
5: uh, yes, Jake, I'm very concerned about it, because what they are spewing are egregious untruths. You know, a euphemistic way of saying they're just lying. I mean, they're, the data clearly show that these interventions don't work. And to call COVID a hoax that has killed one million Americans, I mean, that's totally preposterous. And yet people are believing that or... They don't believe it, but they don't care when a candidate says something that's just obviously incorrect. That does worry me about the status of our democracy. So
1: scores from the National Assessment of Educational Process, also known as the Nation's Report Card, show uh, fourth and eighth graders' scores fell dramatically in reading and then saw the largest ever decline in math. Uh, you and I have been talking about the importance of having schools open with steps taken to keep students and teachers safe in 2020 and 2021. Um, Do you wish that teachers had been listening and educators had been listening more closely to what you were saying? Because I know you were saying that bars should be closed and schools should be open during, during the worst of it.
5: Yeah, I I believe so. I, I would have hoped that we would have done more to get the kids in schools safely to protect them, to surround them with people who are vaccinated by providing a great deal of improved ventilation in the schools. You're right. I have said that many times. And on your show, Jake, we've discussed exactly what I said. And you said it very correctly. We should have been closing bars and keeping the schools open.
1: Dr. Anthony Fauci, thanks so much for your time tonight. We appreciate it.
5: Thank you for having me, Jake. Appreciate
1: it. Think before you speak. If you're a politician, you should certainly know that by now. There's always a microphone somewhere. Oh, here's mine.
5: That's see. The-
1: In the wake of Biden and Schumer's hot mic moment yesterday, we're gonna go back in time to revisit some other intriguing private conversations that ended up, uh, eh, not so private. That's next. Check, check. This thing on. Look, when you work in a world of microphones and cameras, you can never be too sure. I mean, after all, few things fly around the web faster than an offhand comment caught on a hot mic. The latest comes from Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. He was on a tarmac in Syracuse with New York's governor and President Biden. Schumer offered his take on how the midterm elections are looking for Democrats. In Georgia, he's apparently concerned. In the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, he's more optimistic or at least less pessimistic. Now, you can find any number of political analysts across the television networks who will either agree or disagree with both assessments. It's not really about what he said. It's about the fact that you and I weren't supposed to hear that. It's something that President Biden is all too familiar with. Just a couple of weeks ago, the president was touring hurricane damage in Florida when this happened. No one
2: right. And I can't argue with brothers <laughs> outside the house.
1: Still don't really know the context of that, but we do know it wasn't even Biden's best known hot mic F-bomb. Truth is, it can sometimes be refreshing to see and hear a glimpse of the real person beyond the image. To go back to 1994, just a few years after Andre Agassi told us, quote, image is everything, that was especially true for someone like figure skater Nancy Kerrigan. Her princess image took a hit when she was caught on tape Dissing a Disney parade. An AP headline soon followed in newspapers across the country, quote, Kerrigan may be tarnishing her golden image. Whatever. For those in leadership positions, these hot mic moments provide a glimpse into what they really think. Such as when George W. Bush and Dick Cheney were smiling at a campaign rally in 2000 while sharing some thoughts on a particular New York Times reporter. Also, we see the occasional glimpse into how the sausage is made between world leaders, such as when President Obama was trying to deliver a message to Vladimir Putin. This is
4: my last election. I have more yeah. Yeah, I understand. I this information to Vladimir and Vladimir.
1: These moments also show that political loyalty only goes so far. Jesse Jackson famously cried when Barack Obama was elected president, but just a few months earlier, he was saying this about then-Senator Obama. Jackson later apologized for that. But if nothing else, these moments remind us that politicians, celebrities, world leaders can be just as catty as any of us, and also just as clueless about how anything we say might get overheard. Speaking of social media, Elon Musk's officially the owner of Twitter. After months of legal drama, he now refers to himself as Chief Twit. He's fired top executives. The big question is, what's next? That's next. It is official. The world's richest man, Elon Musk, now owns one of the world's most influential social media platforms. Twitter says the $44 billion deal closed last night, ending a months long saga and averting a major court battle that was set to begin today. Less than 24 hours in, Musk has already taken his first actions. He fired several of Twitter's top leaders, including its CEO, CFO, and top lawyer. These abrupt changes may come as little surprise for a guy who revels in stunts, such as carrying a porcelain sink into Twitter's headquarters, acting out, let that sink in, Elon Musk is now your boss. Though it appears the news is sinking employee morale and sending it right down the drain. Sources tell CNN that this morning Twitter staff still had not been notified of the changes, even as media outlets were reporting the news of the firings. But the impact of Musk's takeover goes far beyond Twitter's employees. Musk tweeted last night, the bird is freed, a hint at his preferred policies, which he says would expand the boundaries of free speech. Here to discuss what this all means is tech entrepreneur and business professor at NYU, Scott Galloway. Scott, good to see you again. The last time we spoke, you called it. You said this deal would definitely go through now that it has what do you make of Elon Musk's actions so far?
2: Well, there's a couple of things. One, it's a private company. He has the right to lay off people, and uh, you could argue at six hundred thousand dollars per employee versus one point six million at Meta and Google, that there's an argument to be made that Twitter is just overstaffed. and he has the right to do that. It's a private company he's paid dearly for it. I think we're going what we're going to talk about a lot more moving forward, is whether or not uh, Mr. Musk is compromised and thereby uh, a platform that has huge influence might be compromised. He gets about a quarter of his cash flow, or specifically Tesla, and arguably about half his wealth from the success or lack thereof of Tesla in China. And when the PRC has already been unmasked as trying to weaponize Twitter to influence the midterm elections, you begin to wonder what kind of conflicts he might have in terms of protecting the platform and protecting democracy, if you will, from the PRC's influence. So this is just about to get interesting. He wrote or tweeted that the bird is freed. I would argue the bird is fried. I think this is going to get very ugly very fast.
1: And so what what are you anticipating is going to happen? You think that there's just going to be a lot more manipulation of Twitter by foreign actors uh, exploiting the, exploiting the freedom of speech we have to, to smear people, put out false allegations, create divisions. What
2: exactly are you talking about? Uh, he was in Brazil with Bolsonaro, who has said that he will not accept any election result where he is not elected, trying to convince Bolsonaro to continue the supply of rare earth materials for his batteries. What happens when uh, election misinformation runs rife out of Brazil on Twitter's platform? And It's not even whether or not it happens, it's the appearance of the conflict. Do we want a platform with that type of influence? Do we want to be wondering whether or not that the people who own the platform are putting in place the types of safeguards we'd like to see, such that the platform isn't weaponized and election misinformation or the influence of the CCP or the PRC doesn't run amok on a platform that has enormous influence?
1: Interesting. The Washington Post put out a, a story uh, talking about all the people using uh, the N-word after Elon Musk took over, uh, which is, you know, I, I suppose a twisted, sick celebration of free speech in, in its way by bigots also attacking Jews, etc. Um, that is something that has been a problem for social media companies for years and years. Twitter was trying to tackle
2: it, What what do you think about that part of it? It's a dangerous time. Um, I mean, when we have the former president of the United States and a global celebrity uh, using very pointed anti-Semitic terms such as before it's too late or death con. I mean, QAnon, I think, will go down, hopefully, as a vile, weird stain that defines this American era. But the the conspiracy theory that endures throughout time is anti-Semitism. And it's the quickest to kind of go to language around violence. And I don't think it's any accident that we have this enablement by people on the right who refuse to condemn it, and quite frankly, people on the left who conflate empathy for mental illness or this weird, perverted view of free speech and don't condemn this out of hand. I think that what you saw with Adidas and Gap and Creative Artists Agency immediately walking away from Kanye was an important move. I just don't think it's an accident that we're seeing an increase in hate crimes We're seeing an attack on the Speaker of the House's uh, husband. I think all of this is related. You know, Angela Ahrens talked about a manifest shallowness. Neutrality in the face of evil, and this is evil, is not neutrality. And unfortunately, these platforms are being weaponized. And this notion that free speech plays any role here is nothing but an abdication of our responsibility to cauterize this evil.
1: So a lot of people are watching to see if Musk is going to reverse the bans that were imposed by the previous uh, runners, previous executives at Twitter, uh, and also whether or not he's going to do away with the moderation policies for content. Yeah. Um, he's been vocal about that before. Today, he announced that the company would be uh, forming a content m- moderation council with widely diverse viewpoints. Yeah. That's his characterization. Um, and no major policy changes would happen until the council convenes. What do you make of that?
2: Well, his first major innovation is to copy Facebook's moderation council. I think it's a good move. I personally, my, my bet, Jake, is that he's not going to let the president, former president, back on the platform because I think he's a narcissist and doesn't want to share the spotlight with anybody else. Uh, so I think he's essentially dug a pit for himself, filled it with cobras and grenades, and has jumped in. I think he's going to find out that this policy or trying to moderate is really difficult. But if you look at all the social media platforms, Jake, The level of moderation they employ, or what the far right would call censorship, is directly correlated to their business success. If you want total lack of moderation, go to go to 4chan. And it's a disaster. It makes no money. Parlor and getter that were supposed to liberate us from that censorship on the left are abject business failures. Twitter's success is a function of its moderation, not despite it. Consumers and advertisers have voted with their time and their wallets. They want a certain amount of moderation. They want protection from vile hate speech. So I don't think, uh, just for business reasons, he's gonna turn it into the Wild West again.
1: All right, Scott Galloway, thank you so much. Good to see you again.
2: Thanks, Jay, good to be with you.
1: After a long week, we could all use some levity. I know the perfect show to help us all unwind. The new season of the hit series, The White Lotus, kicks off this weekend on our sister channel, HBO. This time it is staged in Sicily. That alone is enough of a draw, but the cast is also tremendous. And it includes Oscar winner F. Murray Abraham, who is here with a sneak preview of what to expect in season two and his crazy character that he plays. That's next. Ready to check into a luxurious White Lotus Resort again? It's back this Sunday, Season 2, on our sister channel, HBO. This year, the actions shift from the White Lotus Hawaii Resort to the White Lotus Sicily. As you probably know, the first season was defined by rich people problems, class struggles, and the incomparable Jennifer Coolidge, who won an Emmy for her performance. She's back this season, along with a slate of new characters, including Oscar winner F. Murray Abraham, who plays a grandfather-slash-dirty-old-man who brought his son and grandson along to get in touch with their Sicilian roots. Here's a little taste.
3: Welcome to the White Lotus. I am Valentina, the resort manager. How was your boat ride?
4: It was bellissimo.
3: I mean, I'm impressed that you're even here.
4: Why are you impressed?
3: It's a long trip from Los Angeles, and you're quite old, no? Anyway, Isabella here. will take you up to the hotel and bring you to your beautiful
1: rooms. F. Murray Abraham joins us now that clip we just played your character Bert uh, looks a little dismayed when he's called old a Vox review described the characters in this season is haunted by mortality which is a shift from season one which focused more on on wokeness identity and class what do you see as as the main theme conveyed by this season
4: well it's a sexy place I mean you gotta go to Sicily as soon as you can it's really—it's not only absolutely beautiful, but it's sensuous, and I think that's one of the key notes to this season. Uh, I—I can't—I can't begin to tell you. It was really a drag
1: to finish that season. I hated to leave. <laughs> i bad? It was—it was great. Yeah. Your son is played by Michael Imperioli, whom a lot of people probably know from The Sopranos. You said that you two are like brothers. Um, and it must've been fun uh, to do this three generation dynamic with you uh, and the characters playing yeah. your son and your, and your grandson, your grandson played by uh, Adam DeMarco.
4: Well, the thing about it was that we did not really get along so well. You know, you hear this kind of thing all the time from people who do these shows together, but it's true. Uh, Michael and I have become very, very close and Adam was uh, the perfect son. I can't tell you, man, all, everything about this was positive. And I'm so pleased about
1: how it, how it looks. It's
4: so great that it comes across. I'm glad you liked
1: it. I loved it. I loved it. I saw. I just watched episode one, uh, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch along with it as, the, as it drops every week. Um, Adam's character and uh-huh. Michael's character, they're often bothered by your character, Bert's constant flirting <laughs> with younger women. It's, it's really quite cringe. Uh, Let's take a little look.
4: Thank you. Dad, you gotta knock it off. Oh, what's the problem? What are you doing? I mean, what's the point? Flirting is one of the pleasures of life. Do you actually think you have a chance with any of these women? Oh, don't be rude. I'm just saying, you're 80 years old. Oh, I'm still a man. And I get older and older, but the women I desire remain young. Natural, right? You can relate to that.
1: The conversation takes a little. <laughs> it goes on from there in a way that, uh, uh, that I'm not going to talk about. But but uh, you, you've described the role uh, as a present you got from heaven, and you you really, it's just so great how you play this character because he he's really awful in so many ways. It must have been fun. Do you actually think you have a chance with any of these? Weapons? I loved him. I, he's he's
4: from the, uh, a time that. Uh, allows him to say anything he wants to and he gets away with it because he's charming. I think some people are gonna want to object to him, but they're gonna forgive him because he's just so much fun. And he's so innocent finally, considering what a dirty old man he is. But he's really got a great
1: soul. (laughs) He is a dirty old man. This season takes place in Italy. Your character uh, has brought his son and grandson there to discover um, their Italian roots. Uh, In real life, your dad is from Syria, but your mom is from Italy. Uh, Does this character hold some special meaning for you, given uh, your real-life Italian heritage? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've done a lot of movies in Italy.
4: And where we were shooting in Sicily allowed me to to see Calabria, which is where my mother is from. And uh, I have a strong connection with my Italian roots. It means a lot to me. I love the food, for one thing. But if there was any place in the world I had to live, aside from the USA,
1: it would be Italy. No question. And now, possibly Sicily. I fell in love with Sicily. So I've been a fan of yours uh, since I first noticed you in uh, Scarface in 1983. Then, of course, your Academy Award-winning turn as Salieri uh, in Amadeus in 1984. It's interesting. I've been thinking about your career to prepare for this interview. You and Ben Kingsley are two actors who I think can and have played pretty much any white ethnic group and Latinos as well. I mean, like, you really have, uh, in terms of who you can play, uh, the whole palette uh, mm. uh, that I just mentioned, it, mm-hmm. it, is there a challenge to that at all? It's part of the fun.
4: I do a lot of Shakespeare too, and that's, uh, that's a lot of fun. Uh, the idea that I'm not pigeonholed is a big plus. You know, and it allows me to play any place in the world, which I've done. It's uh, actors' lives, when they're good, it's the best life in the world. And when it's bad, it's the worst. But uh, this job
1: has got to be one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life. It's just well, it's, like heaven. It's great, and it's great to have you on. F. Murray Abraham, thank you so much. Congratulations on the new series of White Lotus. Hey, thanks. Thank you very much, very much, enjoy. <laughs> I will. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the TikTok at Jake
0: Tapper. Our coverage continues now with Allison Camerota. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.